Today our text is the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 29. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So he went with them, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we talk about Jesus here, Jesus there, Jesus everywhere, I think of this story and I, and I, could, only, I could only imagine the contrast between these two lives that were in such a dire place. One being a woman of full experience and of age, and another of a young girl just coming into her womanhood. Oh, could you imagine the, the energy and the excitement of that 12-year-old as they're only beginning their journey of life. I, I'm sitting on the side and I'm listening to the kids sing, you know, and they're like, they're doing the actions, and then I look at the rest of us and we're like, okay. We're proud of you, but there's too much energy up there. And I think to myself, oh, I remember the days when, I, when there was nothing that held me back, where I didn't have any experiences that told me I should be shy or that, or that uh, I, I should hold back, but I'm just free to, to experience life as it comes. This, this young girl is, is that young girl, and she's dying. So Jairus makes his way as a synagogue, the leader of the synagogue, to Jesus because he had heard what Jesus could do. This is the prayer and the faith of Jairus and the prayer and the faith of a bleeding woman. This week we ended VBS with Jared the cyclist. How many of you were here yesterday? Anyone here? Good. How many of you have ever seen this uh, bicycle Riding guy, the cyclist. Seen him? This was our church. And I kept thinking to myself, I hope he doesn't bite it. Because I don't know if we have insurance to cover him. We do, praise the Lord. I was praying the whole time for his soul. As he's writing, he's, you know, he's got this whole thing where he talks and, and then he talks to the kids, he's engaging, and then he does some tricks and he does this thing where he jumps over adult human beings. So he got like five, six adults to lay down in front. And as he took off, I said, well, there goes our children's pastor. <laughs> I have to find another one. He makes it. 
He's amazing. I begin to think to myself, man, this guy is amazing. He is, this is what a person who rides a bike should be like. He is the bike rider. I begin to think about this in my mind as I'm watching him because I'm so entranced by his abilities, his skills, the way he moves back and forth. And I think, whoa, man, if anyone can ride a bike, it's this guy. He is awesome. He's the one who can ride the bike. I was so impressed by him, I began to think, well, if he's a real biker, what does that make the rest of us? Like, what, you know, I mean, I saw some kids earlier yesterday who were riding their bikes through our parking lot. One of them broke down in their little bikes, and I was like, man, I should go help them, but I'm busy. And then I began to think, well, what if Jared's bike's broken before the program? I would totally help him because he's the bike rider. He is the cyclist. Does that make those bike riders less than bike riders? Are they just as valuable on a bike as Jared is? Or what if the bikes don't even look the same? What if, what if they, they don't, they, they're not as nice and as sleek, right? What if they're, look at this gang of bike riders here. Look at what I found. Look at these. What if they were put together like this? Look at the individual in the middle. I don't even know what kind of shoes she's wearing. I, I think those are pajama slippers. Do they also get to be bike riders? Is, is their story on a bike just as important, though their bike may not look like his bike? They may not have the same capabilities. They may not be, well, the, the guy on the left, I've seen him ride. He, he might be able to flip that thing if he's riding fast enough. What makes you a real bike person or not? My brother-in-law is a cyclist. He has one of these really nice, nice bikes where, you know, you get down and you're sleek. He's like six foot seven. So on that thing, he looks like he's a jet. And he'll ride him and his, him is one of our other members. They're good friends. They'll ride down to the beach like 60 miles. Like nobody should do that. <laughs> they do. Is that their abilities, their stories, they vary. Does that make them just as valuable as the bike rider? The story in Mark for me is a story of misplaced value and faith. It's misplaced because of the two stories here that get together. This interclation is sandwiched within another story. It's a story that is within a larger story. Both of them singular stories and pretty darn amazing, but when put together collectively, they tell an even larger story. This is the story that Mark begins to share with us. And um, I, I want to see if we can squeeze the story on the screen for all of us here. This is what the passage looks like. Okay, everyone, read fast. I'm going to give you 20 seconds now. Why did, I, why, why did we want to show that? And, and you, you're going to see pieces and portions of it. Because 
it's important for us to see the format, the larger story that's happening here. This isn't just a, a, a paragraph or two about a woman who bleeds, who gets healed, and who goes home. This isn't just about a synagogue leader whose daughter was sick, and then Jesus got sidetracked, and then he gets back on track, and then he goes and finishes what he was supposed to do. And if he'd have done what he was supposed to do, maybe the young girl wouldn't have died. This is a, a larger format. There's something bigger here. There's a large story for all of us where Jesus is here with the bleeding woman, is going there with the young lady, and is everywhere in between. So this is a large story. This is the passage that we began to read at the beginning of our time together. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's, he's, the, he's, he's one of the leaders of the synagogue He's named in this story. He comes, and he comes to the feet. He falls to the feet of Jesus, bringing recognition to Jesus that Jesus could be his rabbi or his authority. But when he comes to Jesus, he walks to Jesus and his personhood, suggesting that he and Jesus have access to each other, making them at least equals. This is Jairus' story. He goes because... The young, blossoming daughter of his, full of life, has fallen ill. He asks Jesus, Jesus, would you come with me? My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well. Jesus, I know what you can do. I'm a leader in the synagogue. I understand passages and scripture and texts. I've been in the Hebrew Bible. I know things about you. We've heard about the Messiah, the healer, the powerful one. That is indeed you. I know who you are. Come with me and heal my young girl. Jesus and him begin to walk and the crowd follows. And as the crowd follows, another character comes to the forefront but she comes subtly she's in the crowd she makes her way through unintentionally touching people as she goes just so she could get into the presence of Jesus but she doesn't walk to Jesus person to person she doesn't have to fall down before him because she's already bent low Society has looked upon her as something that is a throwaway, an outcast, marginalized because of her hemorrhaging situation. Levitical law states that she can't be back in the town for seven days past her hemorrhage. And so she comes to Jesus. She quietly, humbly, Reaches for his cloak, some say, it would be the titsy, the, the, the fringes of, of the prayer shawl. Because they believe there's power there. She touches it and she's healed. This morning I want to remind you that there is still healing in Jesus. She gets her healing. She begins to turn away. But Jesus felt something left him. It's interesting, that wordplay there, right? Something flowed out of Jesus that stopped the flow of the woman. Again, she stopped and she is better. He will not let her pass. He looks out with an intense gaze into the crowd. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples, wow, Jesus, duh. There's like a hundred people here touching you. What are you talking about? They missed the larger story. 
at hand. She gets healed. Jesus says, who touches me? Now watch this. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear to seeing and trembling. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. After the healing, when Jesus begins to seek who did this, she no longer walks in the subtlety of her shame. She walks to Jesus, and the word says she fell before him, just like Jairus did. Now she is welcome, though she's afraid of what might happen. She recognizes that she is now welcome in the presence of Jesus. She tells him a story, and then Jesus says to him, Daughter, your faith has healed you. It has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, while Jesus is speaking to this lady who once was outcast and marginalized, calls her daughter, says, your faith has made you well, while he was still speaking, verse 35, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He makes his way to the house. There were mockers and people laughing at the situation. He goes in. He creates a healing that, that reminds these people, these people of the, of the Jewish tradition, of another prophet, maybe Elisha, who does a healing much the same. And then the people get fed after the famine. Uh, the next story after this one is actually the feeding of the 5,000. So you recognize Jesus is doing some great work here. Mark is, is, is just sewing the fabric together to help us see the bigger picture of who God is, but as he heals her, Jairus has accompanied him all the way from the, him falling on his knees to the detour with the bleeding woman all the way to the other side where there was resurrection for the young girl. So, let's take a moment to contrast and compare the story. Jairus was the main leader in his household he was a leader in the synagogues, in the synagogue. He was male, and in this story, he has a name. He is known. He has a name. They go on their way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, and on their way, a woman makes her way through the crowd to get close to Jesus. This woman has no name. She is nameless in the story. She is unclean because of her hemorrhaging, according to Levitical law. She is an outcast. Go ahead and let's put that uh, shot up here of the, of the contrasting. There we go. She does not have the prestige, the, pres the position, or right to come before Jesus. She has been hemorrhaging 12 years. Interesting. She has been hemorrhaging 12 years, and the daughter, according uh, to further down in the passage, verse 35, the daughter was how old? 12 years old. 
The daughter of 12 is just coming into her blossoming life full and, and fruitful and will be able to, to soon enough have her own children. This woman of 12 years is coming into a place where she has been barren, where she's been hemorrhaged, where she's, she feels, according to society, that she is broken and unvaluable. And Jesus stops to heal her. Now, Jairus in the story, when he's walking with Jesus, and she comes up and, and she comes up and touches him and she leaves, Jesus didn't have to stop, but he stops to grant her voice, to grant her recognition, to grant her a place in the community. And Jairus at that point could have said, Jesus, we don't need to stop. My daughter is dying. Jesus, why are we slowing down? You know how urgent the situation is. My daughter needs your help now. Now, Jesus, now. Jesus, I don't know who touched you, but in a crowd of this, who would be the most valuable person, Jesus? Any one of these or me? I'm Jairus. Instead, Jairus in the story is quiet. He's passively watching and listening as if he's watching along with us and the movie continues to play forward. Interesting. There's this shocking idea that the synagogue leader must learn about the power and the work of faith from this outcast, this no-name, impoverished woman. In this story, he's not teaching and the crowd is learning. He is the student learning as the outcast woman is teaching. You see, Jesus said to this lady, daughter, it is what? It is your faith that made you well. Jesus says that to her. It was her who was the protagonist, the proactive one who moves forward. Because of her faith, she's healed. Uh, Jairus is standing on the side watching all of this happen. He is the synagogue leader, and it is him in this moment who is the student to the outcast woman, the one who has a name, the one who has position, the one who has a life, the, the one who, who deserves to, to walk with their head and their shoulders high in the crowd is the one who stands humbly by learning from a no-name, impoverished woman. This is a quote from Chad Myers. Only when the outcast woman is restored to true daughterhood can the daughter of the synagogue be restored to true life. That is the faith the privileged must learn from the poor. In the world that we live in, we value individuals who seem like they have their life together, who has successful businesses, who can multitask raising all of their kids while running a business, while finishing their fifth degree. And we say, wow, you, you are valuable in the sight of our society. Just this week, in the headlines of the news, the Titan submarine, a, a submarine to go explore the records of the Titanic imploded. Most of you have probably heard this. If not, you've seen it on social media, the sad story of five distinguished and wealthy men who tragically passed away from this horrible malfunction, began to take over our news channel conversations and social media itself. 
And may I say it's tragic. Because any loss of life is tragic. These people will be missed by their families, by their immediate community, by those who love them. But also in the news this week that didn't make top news was a migrant boat that left Libya heading to Greece overly filled with human lives and at very least when it capsized 80 to 82 people died. No names, no stories, just died. Because in this world we value shiny things and people who seem to, to have it all together and we forget that we have many lessons to learn from those that we see beneath us. Do we value every bike rider or just the ones who could do the flips? Can we learn something from our dad who pushes us firmly behind so that we can learn to ride the bike? Or must our dad be a gymnast, an aerodynamic cyclist? The Christian church is facing an unprecedented time right now. The Christian church is shrinking in North America. If you don't know this, this is what research says. All of Christendom, Protestant Christianity is shrinking here in North America. So churches are running here and there and everywhere to try to figure out how to stop the shrinking. And so we want to make sure, hey, how can we attract people? And they got this thing called the attractional model where we just got to, what, what can we do to attract more human beings? We need, we need bigger things. Let's get more lights. Let's do some smoke. Next week, smoke Devo, please, behind me. Let's do this and let's do that and let's do, and, and we're, we're trying to create something to stop the hemorrhaging that is happening among us. But maybe if we took a moment to listen to what God is doing in our world through those who are outcast and marginalized, maybe as a church, if we tuned in more with a compassionate heart to see how God is caring and loving and transforming and reconciling people on the fringes, Maybe as we see what God is doing there in that bleeding woman, we would recognize as Jairus's that God is still doing things in us. Maybe the good work that Jesus is doing here in and around our world, in some of our spaces where people are dying, that we get to witness and come alongside and participate in helping, maybe as we engage there, it will help us re-engage in church because church is more than this. It's us, the gyrus, who needs to tune in to the marginalized, outcast, broken. And as we watch Jesus work there, it will grant us faith to remember he's still working here. Turn to someone and say, God is still working. No, but don't, you, you gotta say it like you mean it. Hurt somebody next to you. Say, God is still working. Hey. 
God is still working. That also means that here among us in the crowd, you are not just someone who's going to fade away into the shadows. You're not just a part of the crowd. You have a story. Your story matters. You are valuable. The church needs you to be a part of the larger story. God has called us here together, and I don't want you leaving this place um, saying amen, but this is how my life goes, and I can't tell anyone. May I just say, I'm going to plead with each of you, as we as pastors are human beings with limitations. If you are going through something and you need to talk, call us. Text, write, email. We all want to visit. Let's, let's, get, let's get there. I don't want you feeling like you're, you're just by yourself. In this world, one of the, the most painful things to believe is that you are all alone. Turn to someone and say, you're not alone. You're not alone. Why do I make you all talk to each other in my sermons? You hate it. I know you do. You're like, oh, man, this pastor's always making us say something to each other. I don't want to look at the person next to me. That's the point. The whole point is for you to look at somebody else so that when everyone leaves here, they felt like somebody saw them. That they weren't in here alone. That they don't just sing a collective song or hymn or praise that, that everyone can sing together and sound good. But then when they leave, they're all alone. You are not alone. This is what church is. It is not our style. It is not our music. It is not our production. It is not the things that we can offer people to consume. Church is the place where we come together and say, together we will stand. Each story is valuable here. You're not just a person in the crowd. And we don't just preach the company of Jesus. This is Pastor Elizabeth. We're not only the space that preaches the company of Jesus, we are the space that practices the company of Jesus. We practice that. We wanna, we wanna be a people that says, hey, how are you doing? How can I walk with you? What could I be praying for? How can I bless your life? We've made church such a consumeristic thing that people come here and say, what can you give me? Church is not about what you can give me. Church is about what can I give others? We expect the pastor to come and just, pastor, just change our lives. Preach a good sermon, make us laugh, make us cry, make us think, and then get out before 12 because I'm hungry. <laughs> Pastors are not the church. You are the church. You don't get to leave when you feel uncomfortable. You don't get to leave when it's not your style for that day. We are the church. Turn to somebody and say, you're the church. And the church needs every one of you to be loving and good and kind and just and right and gentle and self-controlled, and pure. All week long, we go around and we'd video these kids. Hey, 
uh, what does it mean to love like Jesus? And these kids, man, I'll tell you, man, these kids, they're brilliant. I mean, the, 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 the theology, I can't, I, they're just above me. I, I wonder, well, how did I not be so smart? These kids are brilliant. Your children are brilliant. Good job. What does it mean to love like Jesus? It means to love everyone. When did Icky Timey forget that? The church is not the place we come to each week to only hear that God loves us. It is also the place we come to hear that God wants us to love. So, this guy with his prestige and his pomp and his, you know, his, his privilege, he's named in this story. This woman's not even named his special uh, countenance gets to be a passive watcher of what God does when this outcasted, broken, fringed woman engages her faith in Jesus. And maybe as a church, we must be listening closer to how God is engaging and wants us to engage likewise. This week, as our VBS, I'm ending. This week, uh, in our VBS, it's been a blast, man. I love, you know what I love about VBS? I love that usually I don't get to do anything. But uh, this week was not that week. I got, I, got, uh, I got punked by my pastors. It was the day before. Well, it could have been the morning. I'm not sure. Pastor Ben and Liz, they were, these, you know, the young pastors, you can't keep them together. Because they connive. They come up with things. And uh, they said, hey, hey, uh, Pastor Iggy. I said, what's up? They said, you know, uh, you know, you know, you make those cool videos, right? And I was like, I mean, I, I, I help with them. He said, yeah, hey, well, you know what? Why don't we just, why don't we just, why don't you just do some videos for us this week? And I said, oh, no, you know, I like my position where I go and I just wave at people. That's what senior pastors we do. Hey, good to see you. Blessings. Love you. Hey, how's the children? No, you don't have any? I knew that. I knew that. Sorry. Like, no, come on, pastors. I, I, I begrudgingly agreed. And, and all week long, I'm working here like a slave. I get no love. No, no, Pastor Ben doesn't say, hey, Pastor, thank you. That video was excellent. No. You're going to be here tomorrow, right? What? I got to do this all week long? Pastor Liz, how does it look? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It looks great. It looks great. She says that for everything. How do I know? I don't know. But I'm hanging, and the best thing about it is I get to meet all these kids. And I'm talking mess about my pastors, but they're phenomenal. Can we give them some love? <laughs> phenomenal, bar none, bar none. Them and the youth, and Kevin Strain and Pastor Zion, they were just killing it, man. I mean, I was, I was so entrenched. I was humbled to watch what happens. But I got to meet these kids, and I got to talk with them, and I learned a bunch of their names, uh, names that I didn't know before because they were wearing name tags. Yeah, which means I probably won't remember their names next week. But all week long, hey, hey, it's Isaiah, hey, it's Daniel. Whoa, and, and, and I'm listening and I'm watching and my heart is just so, it's so full because this like 
we've got all generations here across our campuses working for each other, knowing each other's names, being in one space. And I just thought, wow, this is what church is like. It's not about a fashion show or really cool or not so cool music. It's not about uh, uh, the perfect words and, and getting everything right. It's really just about being present together, hearing each other's story, watching as God transforms people, and then learning from that space. And as we're doing this on Thursday, one of our other members, uh, uh, Professor Kroom, He's, um, he, he got the, the, the county, the youth county, foster youth, um, to do their graduation over at the gym. So on Thursday, while they were running things tough here, I went over there, and I'm, I'm with these foster kids. There's like 70, 80 of them. They're all there. They have like haircut stations where they're getting haircuts. They've got a makeup station for the ladies who, who did never could afford going to makeup. So they got their makeup being done. They had like ice cream stations, and I was there. They had a taco bar. Our other, our other members, uh, Lisa Walker, was there working for the county, putting it together. And I, I went up and I said, hey, my name is Pastor Icky from the Las University Church, and on behalf of our church, we want to welcome each and every one of you here. And I told them, from our church, we are a faith community that is convicted that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And how do we follow up with that? Well, if you're getting a birthday card, it's from us. If you're getting a lay today for your graduation, that's last year University Church. We may not know you exactly by name, but we believe and value that your story really, truly does matter. Church, may we continue to do the good work before us. May we not just be a gyrus, a gyrus that rushes Jesus to our urgency, but may we walk humbly by God, listening, watching, and engaging as he engages with the outcasts, the marginalized, and the impoverished. Today at the end, we're gonna have our foster youth cards again out, our birthday cards. I wanna invite as many of you as possible, please come, just like those cards you see up there, fill them out. When we filled them out on that Sabbath, Lisa called me, she says, how's the cards coming? I said, every one of them's filled out. She said, what? How'd you do, did you, did you call people? I said, no. I said, we left them out. Uh, out around the, the thing, and everybody just came sign them. She's like, that's incredible, incredible. She says, well, I gave you extra cards for the next month. I said, they're already signed. We got so excited, we signed all the cards. She said, what? Really? I said, yeah. So she dropped off our next batch of cards for our foster kids. They're your foster kids. They're our foster kids all across the county. They may not have been here VBS. We may not have name tags for them to know who they are. But we believe that their story is valuable to the fabric of our community. And so we encourage, inspire, and push on. At the end, we'll have the cards back up here and we want to invite you. Write something inspiring and encouraging. 
don't write anything religious. Don't, don't apostatize anybody. Let Jesus do the work. This is for kids who, who just need to be encouraged, who need to know that they matter, who need to know that in a crowd, a sea of people, that they are seen as people. Be well. Thank you.